Welcome to Built to Play, your weekly dose of video game news and culture. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. This week, League of Legends took over the world, and Sony made a few final announcements on the PS4's launch night. Also, we continue to be shocked and amazed by Namco High, and the Xbox One has some pre-launch jitters. Plus, we're talking to Davey Reedon on the promotion Parable. Then, last month, we went to Torontaru and came back with a beer and two Capybara game employees. Finally, Ryan North on Choose Your Own Adventure Game Stories, the proto-video game. But first, let's talk about the record-breaking League of Legends World Championships. So the Season 3 World Championships for League of Legends drew in 32 million total viewers last month, which set viewership records for any live stream of that game. Now, they had an event held in the Staples Center with how many people? Uh, That is 13,000 people in the Staples Center, which I believe is a football arena for the uh, sportsmen. That's incredible. So this, they also had the highest amount of concurrent viewers at uh, 8.5 million, which is global, not just including the United States. Um, and how did we, they look last season? So uh, here, so for context, uh, season two's finals last year were watched by 8.2 million total. Remember, that is less than the concur, concur, you know, total concurrent viewers, highest amount of concurrent viewers, rather, for um, season three uh, with 1.1 million concurrent. And for further context, the Super Bowl last year hit 108.69 million U.S. viewers. By comparison, still a drop in the bucket, but it's I think that's several million, nearly 10 of them, I think is a fairly good number for that's a, a game. That's a pretty good number for a video game. Considering that we have very few people playing these games at the moment, by comparison, I mean, League of Legends is the most popular. If there is anyone playing a game, it is probably League of Legends, considering it's the most popular game in it, the world it's right the, now. I think it's the most played thing this side of Angry Birds. Yeah, exactly. So it's, and I mean, they've only been around for what, three years? Yeah, this is season three of the official championships. First season was their launch year. Second season was last year. And this is, the third season was this year. Season four will be next year when the world championships were, for that will be held in South Korea. But that is three years and they have basically dominated video games. Imagine what they could be in like another few years. Imagine I can. This is they can't be far away from getting something on ESPN. No, they're yeah, or at least some sort of like they have. To, I know. I remember StarCraft matches used to be broadcast on Korean television, South Korean television rather. I I can't. Ima- I I you know I I wonder how close we are to something like that for League of Legends. It's finally growing. I mean, we don't have as big of an audience for games like StarCraft. We don't have an aud- big, a bit, as big an audience for games like uh, Call of Duty, which do have a high competition, but not many viewers. I think, I think even Call of Duty is a drop in the bucket compared to Street Fighter, which is nothing compared to... Uh, you know, I think Street Fighter's numbers where it's like they, they, they hit records at 2 million for EVO this year, as opposed to the 3 million, you know, or rather 32 million for League of Legends. The interesting thing about what League has been doing is that they have, like, really good technology for showing the game. Like, one of the main problems you often have with games like StarCraft is that all you can really do is switch between two screens. Like, this is one guy's screen, and here's his opponent, and here's his opponent. And they ha- and so you're really rarely getting a bigger picture of what's going on in the game. With League, they kind of have that built in. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different camera views. There's the full there's kind of the full map, and then there's individual players, and sort of alternating between that makes watching it a lot more dynamic, uh, as opposed to StarCraft matches, which are probably which are I mean, as far as I can tell, horribly boring unless you know the game very 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 well. It's very much about knowing kind of the changing meta game. Mm-hmm. Um, with StarCraft. And that's a lot of the, the amusement. With League, there's very much a, a visceral fun. I'm 
we had a big showing for Dota 2 early in the year, although not quite this big. And to be fair, that was their first really, really big promoted um, tournament for uh, Dota 2. Right, whereas the league has had a couple of years to get this right. And the Staples Center is used for, you know, big football games. It is it is a serious arena, or rather uh, basketball games as well. It is, a, it is a major L.A. thing. And, I mean, the move to South Korea for next year might be a let's do it somewhere exotic or maybe let's do it where more of our best players are that would make sense it would also um they have i think their television side is just more prepared for this stuff so they might be able to get broadcast on um perhaps local tv or maybe even um it would attract an, going somewhere exotic would attract enough attention from home that uh they'd be able to get some some more uh, con- more uh, coverage. I also have to imagine that renting out a large an arena larger than the Staples Center would probably be in in South Korea would probably be cheaper than a renting out the Staples Center. Oh, totally. No, that has to be much considering how rare of it is that they they have events that big. Um it's got to be way way cheaper. But speaking of money, I mean, we're not going to this ain't cheap. The PS4 has sold more than 1 million units in North America on launch day. That's a lot. That is a lot of boxes. Uh, To be fair, that is kind of a manufacturing limitation. A million is sort of, I guess, how much they manufactured and shipped out for launch day. Yeah, that was was what they had. They they could have sold more. They could have sold more and... Really, I mean, we, we got to look the numbers over the first month more than we looking for first uh, 24 hours. Um, but according to Sony Canada, it's Canada's biggest launch ever. The console was already sold out here, although they have more inventory on the way. Well, I, I saw a guy walking on the street with his newly purchased PS4 this morning. So I have a feeling the inventory's gotten here. I don't think we're looking at a Wii shortage situation. No, because I think that, that has that kind of thing has the consequence of being dual, uh, kind of like being a dual-sided sword. The problem is, yes, you get all this buzz around this get this console that everyone wants but also no one has that console yeah it, it, it worked for the Wii because it was such a lasting phenomenon but uh, at least for the first couple of years but you know it wouldn't really work for something that is actually a dedicated games machine so meanwhile Sony says they're nearing break even point in the PS4 already yes the console costs $381 to produce uh, 372 of which being materials and the extra 18 lying over being uh, manufacturing costs uh, the console itself retails for $399, $400, but with the shipping and extraneous costs, uh, PS4, basically each PlayStation 4 you buy is a money loser for Sony. Now, that's not new for them. Sony's always manufactured their consoles at a loss. Same with Microsoft. It's always kind of been a get them on the razor and make, on the razor and make money off the blades uh, strategy for these companies. Nintendo's really the only company that's ever stuck to profiting off of every hardware they release, and they changed that for the Wii U at launch, at least. Uh, but Sony says they should be turning it around, turning all that around soon. The, um, <clears throat> the as it stands, they're going to be making their materials cheaper, which I mean, they could be pretty damn soon, um, and that could allow them to really get their uh, get their thing down. Now, if you looked at the PS4. The um, it already kind of looks like you could divide it in half just straight away. If they're smart, they could take that and just make a slim and just if they have like all of their stuff already on the bottom part, just cut off the top part and you have your PS4 slim right there. Right there. And all you're missing is that top part that contains the sentient AI core that tells it to take over the world. Which is really unnecessary. They just kind of put that in there as like, it was their, they needed to have a Ken Kodoragi thing. Mm-hmm. And well, that's why it's $100 more expensive than a Wii U. Exactly. That's, that's, that's that extra 100 It's You're really getting sentient AI. Um, 
But, I mean, considering that um, they were losing boatloads way back when the PS3 was selling for $600. And I believe manufacturing for $1,000. That's a, that's a lot of loss. Now, so they're actually making, they're losing less money on the PS4 than they lost on the Yeah, PS3. losing, I believe, losing something like 20 bucks is a lot better than losing $400 on each one sold. Yeah, yeah. So... It's currently unknown how much the Xbox One costs to manufacture, but the Wii U is currently selling for more than it costs to produce. So I, Sony might be on the train of making things that actually make money. Yeah, Vita. that's... I mean, the Vita isn't making money. The Vita will not make money. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever make money. No, it won't. Although it has had a good run with some indie games, and Tearaway came out. Yeah, and I've, I've been hearing uh, very good things and some very bad things. Uh, it depends who you talk to, right? I mean, yep. it's, it looks like if it's basically if you have a Vita, you should probably buy that game. Anyway. If you have a Vita, you should probably be buying anything that comes out because what else are you playing? That is true. But um, speaking of speaking games, of games to play, yeah, 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 we did it. <laughs> high five! We're gonna high five off mic. It's gonna be great. Anyway, um, Towerfall. Yes, Towerfall, the game that was worth owning an Ouya for, is now coming to PlayStation Four since its uh, six month exclusivity is coming to an end. Uh, Matt Thorson's Towerfall is a four-player battle game, sort of like Super Smash Brothers, but every player has two arrows and dies in one hit, and it's really, 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 really fun. It's kind of, it's a very much uh, Battle Royale type moment. Everyone gets knocked out immediately, and it feels real dire. Yeah, and you're respawning all the time and continuously using the same arrows to get more kills. Uh, the game is coming to Steam in January, I believe, and uh, to PS4 at some point after that. But it will be coming as Towerfall Ascension, a um, modified version of the game that will have more stages and power-ups and the console that you might actually be able to play it on. Woo! But speaking of games you might actually want to play, there's Uncharted and Metal Gear were announced. Um, at least little features that will be on them. So uh, it looks like, first of all, Metal Gear Ground Zeroes is going to be have PS4-exclusive Deja, Deja Vu missions, which will have you playing a version of a game as if it were on the PS1, which is similar to a portion of one mission in Metal Gear Solid 4, except this time David Hayter won't be voicing Snake. And I'm bitter about it. That's uh, pretty good reason to be bitter. Have they explained why David Hayter isn't doing that? No, and he seems to be pretty bitter about it, too. It seems like they just sort of dropped him without telling him. Uh, for those of you who don't know any of this absolute nonsense, yeah. uh, David Hayter was the voice of the Metal Gear Solid star Solid Snake since the uh, first game on PlayStation 1. And with the release of Metal Gear Solid, or with the announcement of Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes and Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain, uh, Hideo Kojima, the series director, announced that uh, Snake will now be voiced by famous actor uh, Donald Sutherland, or oh, Kiefer Sutherland, Kiefer rather. Sutherland. Donald Sutherland is his father. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, by famous actor Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, David Hayter was not informed of this, according to him, and is understandably very bitter about his signature role being handed off to a big movie star. Which, uh, they, there have been some theories that he's, they're, they're trying to keep it so that Big Boss, because they'll eventually get to, they'll have to talk to Snake, and they want Big Boss and Snake to kind of sound a little distinct, but there's no substantiation of that stuff, and right now it just seems and like he's been thrown in off. In every interview Hater has been in, he has seen, unless he's a spectacular actor, he seems very genuinely better about it. Well, he did write the script for Watchmen. And X-Men too. Yeah, so I mean, there's listen one for one for one one for two. <laughs> so the other side of this is that um, 
The PS4 is also going to be getting a new Uncharted game, um, which should surprise no one. Naughty Dog would not be working on Last of Us 2. Turns out there were more of us. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. You're welcome. And the, uh, but Uncharted has always been pushing about pushing the limits of the PlayStation hardware. And, I mean, if you look at Uncharted 2, that game really, really... Um, showed us what they could do with lighting and water. Um, Uncharted 3 has some of the prettiest fire I've ever seen in a video game. Exactly. And like some of the... The game is cinematic. Mm -hmm. And you can can argue that the gameplay is a little shoddy, but it's always beautiful. Yeah. Which, I mean, they keep wanting to make an Uncharted movie, which I think we've got that. (laughs) We got that one down. We don't need that. That's true. That's true. Apparently that movie is going to be Indiana Jones. We couldn't afford uh, Harrison Ford. Well... Um, hey, they want to make a Metal Gear movie with Tom Cruise, so don't put it past them. Speaking of sadness, The Last Guardian also had a bit of news. Uh, nope. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, was I lying? No, that was No, that wasn't true. I, I'm not going to laugh as loud as I was going to on the microphone. It's going to blow us out. But um, no, Last of Guardian is never going to come out. Don't be ridiculous. I think they sent out an official apology now. Yeah. Um, I believe the studio working on it has said that we're very sorry it's taken us a decade to make a video game. And uh, Fumito Ueda has washed his hands of the projects. Oh, good. So everything's right on track is what you're saying. Oh, totally on schedule for those guys. Speaking about schedules, yeah, it looks like Namco High has um, moved ahead some of its pre-order stuff. Um, so this doesn't make any lick of sense, of sense to me. So, Daniel, what? Okay, we've mentioned it on the show, I believe back in July when they announced it at Comic-Con. Namco High is Namco Bandai's upcoming free-to-play dating sim slash secret nexus of all of the webcomics talent in North America. And it's got some premium content. So if you start playing um, Namco High in your browser when it comes out at some mystery date, you will have access to uh, six playable characters. But if that's not how many... If you want to play the field, you can a la carte purchase through DLC and... Or I suppose in-app purchasing... Uh, nine extra Namco characters and three characters from Homestuck, which is a uh, webcomic created by Andrew Hussey, who is the creative director on Namco High. Now, if those characters aren't enough for you and you want to spend more money on this game, because I know you do, you know nothing about this game, but you desperately want to spend money on it, Armand. I know you. I can see the look in your eyes. If you, No one else can, but I can see it. If you spend $15, you'll get all those characters instead of having to purchase them separately, in addition to a uh, soundtrack. Good. I, I like soundtracks. I love yeah. soundtracks. What's Do you a, want what more? else is yeah, I would like want... I'd like to know a little more about what's in there. Okay. Uh well there's nothing else in that package. Okay. But if you would you like to pay more for this crazy thing that you don't know anything about? Uh you know, I got my paycheck, but I mean Cool, good. Um if you you premium tiers range from a fifty dollar package called the Swag Pack, which comes with the soundtrack and the characters and everything you got in the fifteen dollar pack, uh, but also an exclusive t shirt starring the game's or featuring the game Star, one of the Katamari cousins, and a pin. Okay, that's that's like, that's that's nice. That's reasonable. That's how do you want to go higher? Um, like, well, how high are we? Let's talking? go all the way to the top. Like, five hundred dollars. Um, hey, look, I gotta, I gotta go to a thing. You have a kidney? Sorry, we can sell your kidney. Because if you sell that kidney, five hundred bucks, that gets you the cool kid pack, which comes with all the characters. Soundtrack, T-shirt, pin, messenger bag, diploma, class ring, and a Letterman jacket. I, I don't need those things. <laughs> no one does. Again, this game continues to baffle us. We know nothing about this game, and they expect you to drop $500, at least one person to drop $500 on it. 
it, this is kind of in the same vein of uh, of Saints Row Four getting that million dollar. But that was a joke. That was a joke that I think no one actually redeemed. Right. That was a very clear joke. These they are clearly planning on making some Letterman jackets. What did oh what did you letter in? Oh, dating waifus. Oh, good. <laughs> I love my my waifu. This, I think you mentioned earlier that it reminds you a lot of the pre-order bonuses for visual novels. It yeah. reminds me more of actually Kickstarter award tiers. Yeah, where they just become increasingly absurd to the point where I think at one, my favorite one is use this person as a slave for a weekend, and that was at like $2,000. Actually, speaking of Homestuck, uh, Namco Bandai's creative director and Homestuck author Andrew Hussey had a Kickstarter for his video game last year, uh, around this time, and at the top tier... For $10,000, you could get a character in the comic. $20,000 would guarantee that they wouldn't die after one panel. (laughs) Oh, Andrew Hussey. He's great. I love that guy. Okay, there's no real way to transition to this next part because that's just too intense. But just just think about how nervous this has gotten you. Well... Microsoft is kind of on its knees right now, shaken. Not because of Namco High, although that would be a good reason. It's because the Xbox One is having a bit of a shaky launch. Yeah, so let's start with some Kinect problems. Because apparently there's some conspiracy stuff going around with Kinect. Never would have guessed. Um, um, IGN watched a tech demo that Microsoft released for the Kinect around this this week. And uh, thought that the Kinect was seeing through the man's clothes. (laughs) Oh, so so tell me. Tell me the big secret. Can they see through man's clothes? No. Unfortunately, Microsoft told us that really it was not the man's crotchal region that it was exposing, which they thought it was. Um, they There was a simply a fold in the man's jeans, and, micro, and Kinect is not magic. And also, please stop looking. I really have to go. It's embarrassing me. <laughs> So we also had a couple updates. Um, it turns out the Xbox can update offline by downloading a patch from Microsoft, and you put it on a USB stick and download it in a console. Same way you could do that with the PS4. Um, Except significantly more complicated. I didn't write the instructions down because it involves booting your Xbox One in a patch mode, which involves plugging it out of network, plugging it off the network, pl- unplugging it, plugging it back in, holding the bind and power buttons at the same time, and... S- I think, like, like drawing a pentagram around you and calling for Satan. And it turns out that they have pulled these offline patching instructions from their website. And while it looked like it was only slightly more complicated than summoning a spirit from the seventh level of spiritual intelligence, it doesn't seem like you could actually figure this out on your own. No, but Microsoft says that the full patch still needs some online functionality going against what the patching instructions said, uh, and that instead of offering these instructions to the public, uh, they will be working with them on a case-by-case basis to solve their patch problems. Now, I think this is a problem. Two reasons. One, I mean, I think that booting your Xbox in patch mode might actually mess it up if you're not careful, and that's why they don't want you to do it. But the other thing is, what if you want to keep your Xbox offline? Yeah. What if, I don't know, what if you hate the internet? What if you... You're not listening to this show, but, you know. That, that would be disappointing if you hated the internet, but it would also be a good excuse to, um, I mean, to try and download this thing offline. I mean, at some point, you got to... There are still people who have trouble keeping their stuff online. There are people who are in areas where they don't get regular broadband access or they get broadband access in awkward times where it may not be ideal to download this stuff. So 
I mean, it might just be it might just be smart for some people. Like for instance, I knew the guys who were getting the PS4, and they thought was the servers are going to be messed up during lunch. It's going to be packed with people, so why don't I just download it in advance and have it ready for when I get back? Mm-hmm. That way, I don't even have to compete with other people when the when the servers are up. Yeah, doing yourself, making yourself easier on you and everybody else. Meanwhile, I really do hope there's somebody who was specifically going to keep their Xbox One offline to just for an ir- ironic revenge on the formerly DRM console. Yeah, Always we, online. Now that we have that freedom, I must use it. Yep. There's also this other. You. There's also punish this... the Xbox One. Speaking <laughs> of punishment. Speaking of punishment, Twitch.tv livestream was going to be delayed until 2014. They initially. Um, at the original launch, they mentioned that the original uh, announcement, they mentioned that they would have some form of live streaming, um, but it, it, the details of, were to be put to later. They now have now said that it's going to be pushed till 2014. Um, PS4 sharing Twitch uh, through Twitch has been very popular in its first week and already seems to be working at a hitch, which... Uh, Probably has Microsoft worried. Um, In an official statement, they said, uh, we are working to ensure the initial Twitch on Xbox One broadcasting experience meets the expectations of the Twitch community. So while this feature won't be available right away, we'll let you know as soon as it is ready. Um, Just as a person who uses Twitch, their iOS app is not very good, so I don't think there's a standard of quality I'm expecting. No, not really. The the thing that, that makes I find interesting, though, is just that... With the the live streaming, what you have been able to see is that people have been able to share their experiences on PS4 really fast, and it kind of works as like a branding initiative, like marketing. It's free marketing. Mm-hmm. I did this on my PS4, and now Microsoft's missing out on that opportunity to it, kind it, of get their voice out there. It also stops their ex- their exclusives from kind of gaining mindshare that they really need to. Exactly. You know, like something, I mean, we'll get to Rise later, but something like Rise isn't really going to, other than the millions of ads they have up, if somebody sees someone playing through it on Twitch and thinks, oh, that's fun, they're going to want to get it. But there's no way to do that without a capture card at the moment. I mean, Twitch.tv is really popular with just generic live streamers. Um, people play League of Le- use that service to play League of Legends. They do it to, um, I mean, with Molly Jam earlier this year and several other game jams, they just host that all on Twitch. Um, PAX uh, always hosts a lot of its panels on um on Twitch, so you can be able to view them live, and just, I mean, they they have limited archiving, but somewhat afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, live streaming has become really huge in the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and it's it, really important to have it built into the console, so you can kind of um, you can kind of share it. As I said, it works as marketing, but it also works as a kind of communal experience for as you play these games. Yeah, I think to be fair to Microsoft, I think they're okay as long as they get this Twitch stuff working before Titanfall comes out. Yeah. Simply because Titanfall is their big, big game. Titanfall is the one is is the one exclusive that looks amazing in a way that it looks unique. It's not a sequel. It's but not... you really need to see it to get yeah. why it's cool. And I think that they really need to get that live streaming working before Titanfall comes out. Because I mean, as it stands right now, you, the way you describe it is kind of like, well, it's Call of Duty but with mechs. I mean, that's that's the easy way to say it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really describe what. It that... Really do it justice. Yeah. You can say, well, there's jetpacks too, but then now you've just confused everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the um that that's it for our regular news. We got to move on to our bonus round. So Daniel, you're usually in charge of this stuff. So what's up with the Nuya? The Nuya, which is a name I have been referring to the new Ouya, uh which will be coming to town this holiday season. Ask Santa Claus, he'll put it in your stocking. The new Ouya is a limited edition all white console with 16 gigabytes of storage, which is double the original storage for $130. Wow, now I really want to buy this console. No, I, 
Oh, I don't think so they, mean. I don't think they understand why it's not selling. I really don't. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe they got like something like games. We need to stop picking on the I feel like a bully at this point. All right. So what's Okay, so that's Let's pick on something bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and meaner than us. So that's the Wait, what? The VGX? Yes, the disaster formerly known as the Spike Video Game Awards. Uh, Spike and Game Trailers host a video game award show every year, but uh, this year it has been rebranded as the Spike VGX. The X stands for next gen. No, it doesn't make any sense. Every year, um, the show is embarrassing, rarely entertaining, usually ridiculous, but sometimes it really does get it right, and it is not. It is kind of heartwarming to see games get a lavish, televised award show spectacle. It... It, it, it feels good that we are being treated like that, even though sometimes it's really immature and terrible. Uh, this year's show, though, is going to be a dramatic shakeup with more demos of next-gen games rather than trailers, uh, one-on-one interviews with gaming luminaries, and a more intimate setting. Whatever that means. Um, of course, it's probably still going... It's probably going to be 70% trailers instead of 80% trailers this time. That's great. The last year's nominees were Bioshock Infinite... Uh, no, no, no. Sorry, the last, this year's big nominees are Bioshock Infinite, GTA V, Last of Us, Tomb Raider, which are all nominated in uh, Game of the Year in addition to Super Mario 3D World, which apparently has been getting some stellar reviews. That, that game makes me want a Wii U against my better judgment. It looks spectacular. Meanwhile, up for Studio of the Year Best PC Game is Gone Home and also Best Independent Game. And they are, like, they are in so many categories that... They're, they're the journey of this year's awards, which means yeah. they might sweep them all again. Yeah, yeah. The main number ne- nominees aside for Gone Home are Kentucky Route Zero, Papers, Please, and The Stanley Parable. Um, which sort of reads like a who's who of the big indie titles. Right, right, right. So now we've... Uh... So now we're going to be able to see some really good games together. So what was... Wait, what's this other category? There are some weird categories, as there always are. I mean, last year the weird category was best performance from a human male. Um, (laughs) Which... As opposed to a non-human male? I don't know. I think they had a whole nominee of, like, cats from Nintendogs plus cats. But uh, the weird categories this year include Best DLC, which um, includes as a nominee Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, which is not DLC, and uh, Best Original, or rather Best Song in a Game, which is otherwise known as the Will the Circle Be Unbroken Award for Breaking the Circle. Yep, that sounds about right. And, okay, so it's going to be not on TV, but it will be live streaming on... Uh, on Game the... trailers and Xbox One and anywhere you anywhere a stream can be live. From 3 to 6 Pacific Time and 6 to 9 Eastern Time, whenever they decide to actually put that bloody thing up. Oh, and uh, December 7th, I right. believe. Oh, and that's all the time we have for news. And let's move on to our interviews for this week where we have a smorgasbord of choices. Should you listen to the rest of this show or should you burn your phone to ash? You decide. That's exactly the kind of choices we're talking about this week, especially in the new game, The Stanley Parable. Designer Davey Reedon created this game entirely about choices. Do you go left or right? Do you embrace eternal bliss or do you kill yourself to annoy an omnipotent god? That got dark fast, but them's the ropes. And Reedon faced a problem when he released this game. So he needed to promote it without giving away these choices. It's, you gotta consider, that's the entire game. That's all you're doing here. So he made a risky decision. He chose to make a demo that had none of the actual game in it. Hey Davey, 
Hello, how are you doing? Not too bad. First of all, I'd really like to congratulate you on your success. Thank you. Yeah, the, the peak has gone um, in a different direction than I expected for, for the best in almost all of this. You got over 100,000 downloads, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in, uh, in, in the first three days, yeah. And it worked. The Stanley Parable is one of the most successful indie games this year. Now, Davey worked on the game of a programmer, William Pug, and together they brought in more money than some developers see in a year. We, on our own, without talking to one another about this, and only, like, later now, in retrospect, have come back and, and, and actually talked about this, we, we both, on our own, at, at various points in the development, thought to ourselves, like, the most crazy, bonkers, out there, like, you know, thing that we could possibly shoot for, you know, like, will, is it ever even possible to sell 100,000 copies? Like, that would be just the most, you know, like, at your most egotistical, confident, arrogant moment, right? Like, what would you, and that was it. It was 100,000 copies. And you so, guys passed that almost immediately. You could, you could say that, that we were caught out a little off guard. But that demo I mentioned, it had more than a few surprises. They made several different versions of it and then handed them over to YouTube stars like Danny Aviden of Game Grumps and Adam Sessler of Revision Free Games. These stars played the demo on their YouTube channels and then they brought in hundreds of thousands of views. People watched the videos to see what was different. You upset me. And more than that, you've upset Anthony. Yeah. I'll be fine. I'll get over it. But will he? I'm very upset. No. Please, Adam, take a minute to turn to Anthony and apologize to him for failing to live up to your end of the responsibility. I'm sorry, Anthony. I did not live up to my end of the responsibility. You're supposed to know how to play video games, Adam. It just started from, you know, conversations with those guys, right? With the, with the producers of those shows. Like, I just, like, bumped into them at PAX, each, you know, separately, and just started chatting, and they really liked the demo and thought it was interesting, and, and you know, like, <clears throat> Anthony Carboni said, hey, what if we put this in front of Adam Sessler? I'll bet he'd like it. And I was like, hey, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to, like, record some additional dialogue. He was like, yeah, that'd be great. And I was like, I can do that. There's no problem. He was like, yeah, woo, right? It was it was fun, you know, it was, it was just like, oh, that'd be a fun thing, right? That'd, that'd, be a, that'd be a cool idea. And what it turned out to be was enormously beneficial for us, like, as far as reaching more of an audience. You know, it was huge. It made a really, really big deal. And, um, but it just, it just started that way with like, dude, that'd be pretty fun, right? In hindsight, it was a smart choice. Along with unique trailers and carefully timed stunts, Davey created an audience eager to hear more. In his mind, one of their biggest successes was the branding. I think that fundamentally what it, what it all stems from is that we made content that was interesting for people to talk about, right? Like we made stuff that was just unique and different and provocative at every single stage along the way so that people wanted to share it, right? And people wanted to talk about it and try to describe it to other people. You know, and press really, really likes this. Like, I, I, um, I got an email from someone who was like, hey, you know, I'm trying to make a game that's really different, but, like, how do you get 
press to talk about your thing when it's so weird and different. And I was like, that's what press love to do, right? Like, they really, really do, you know? Like, journalists are so excited to be able to 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 use their language and their descriptive prowess in, in such a way as to convey what this thing is that they don't even understand what it is themselves, right? That was such an asset for us, you know, that we we had something that made people want to talk, right? Um, and And so we knew that we had that, right? We knew that that was going for us. And creatively, on the actual game side, that was set. Right. Okay. So now we want to make money. Right. And now we have to enter a different space of asking, how is this going to make us sustainable for the future? Right. And, and I didn't know anything about this. And my game plan really going into it was talk with as many people as I can possibly, with as many really, really, really smart people as I know and who I trust on this and see what they say. Right. And that's all I did. I listened to smart people around me. Like I, I spent time making these friends, you know, and like going out and meeting people and 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 ma making, you know, like having just people who were first and foremost friends. Right. Not like networks, not a business thing, but just you're my friend. Right. But you're also very smart. So, OK, what should I do here? And every single time at every single juncture, it was okay, here is the best thing that we can do given the resources that we have, right? So, okay, so we can't really talk about the game, but we want to release trailers, so let's spend a little extra time making content for our trailers, right, that uh, that is going to be more interesting than just, like, a shot of some gameplay footage, right? And those trailers, we released five trailers, and they've got, like, over 500,000 views between them, right? So, you know, people wanted to see that. That was really interesting. We made a video that was nothing but, like, the humor of the game, right? And that got really spread around because people wanted to talk about the trailer. Oh, and there's also information about the fact that there's this game coming out, but the, the, the trailer itself was a good movie, right? Like, it stood on its own uh, in that way, right? So, okay, so we're doing that. So we're spreading the word that way. Okay, well, what about blogs, right? I'd like to write a development blog, but we can't really talk about the development because everything's a spoiler. So why don't I write this fake kind of satirical blog, right? And then that got, uh, like, really revved up the fan base. That was, like, people had this thing to talk about and to, like, participate in the development of the game, right? Uh, okay, so leading up to the game, how are we going to actually sell people on it who don't know anything about it? Well, what if we make this demo, right, that, again, is in the style of the game but doesn't actually share anything with it? Um, and, uh, and you know, that, like it, I said in the, the thing that I wrote about this, but that gave us an entire second game's worth of press coverage, right, and of attention. You know, and that was huge, right? Because all of these people now have this whole extra thing to be able to talk about and to share. And people want to share it. And that just gets spread. And that just gets more people talking about it and more people interested in it, you know? Um, and that was the whole time. And then, like, we just give stuff away, right? Make something interesting. Give it away. 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 And here's the, here's the thing that costs money, Right? at the end of that all. And that's like the pinnacle, the icing, everything else that we've been making was like free stuff, building, building, building. And here it is. Right. And that was a really strong build to where, I mean, like for a while, I wasn't even sure, like, should we charge 
five dollars maybe ten dollars for this and then like again i went to my smart friends and i put the game in front of them and said what should this cost and they all came back to me and said fifteen dollars right i was like done fifteen dollars and that is, is clearly the right price point for the game you know so again like all of this like i had to know what the what the actual content was that we were making and what the the item is that we were producing and to make it interesting at every point like along the way right but also to know what that's in service of and to know how those things that i'm doing is building a community and a fan base that will ideally you know translate into sales right and this is the headspace that i have to get into to think about how am i going to work to actually make this this thing profitable right because like i said it's a whole separate side of it. It takes a whole amount, like it's a full-time job just figuring out how that's going to work. So you very clearly put a ton of thought into into putting this, the, the marketing side together. A lot of independent developers, they kind of, they really hope, they make a good game and then they put it out there and kind of hope that the community will just respond to the quality of their game. Why do you think that that angle just fails? Well, or you can know, fail? It, yeah, sure. It works. And, 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 you know, I'm proof that it can work, right? Like that's what the original Stanley Parable was. I just put it out and the community responded, right? So like it can work, you know, but the original game was free. And if it had cost money, that would be something very, very different. You know, like, like the, like when something is free and that's why like the, all of the free content that we gave out leading up to the actual launch of the game was all about generosity, right? It's all about us saying we're here to give. You know, this is we want to give to you. We want to, uh, uh, we want you to have this thing because because we're really happy that you're even participating. You're even checking out our stuff, right? So like, it's always more nuanced than just the community responding right and i didn't know most of that at the time so i just sort of like happened to stumble into it right um but it can happen and i do think that there is unfortunate there is this this you know the reality of of the development of these games is that they many of them can make money right and the the ability to make money is a necessary function for people to do what, you know, whatever it is that they do, anything, right? And I have to deal with that. I don't like it. I don't want to have to deal with it, but I, but that's what it is. And that's what's there. And a corollary of that is that making your game and putting a price tag on it are, are like these very, very different things that have to be like segmented out, right? Cause otherwise you're not going to give one or the other enough attention, right? To, to actually let that relate that, that balance between the two of them flourish. And it's different for every single person. You know, any person making a game, no matter what, if they're like, oh, I've got this really cool thing, I want to make money off of it, okay, you know, there's probably not a, a roadmap for how exactly you're going to do that. And if there is a roadmap, if there's like a very clear, here's exactly what you do to make money, your game probably isn't that unique or interesting, right? I mean, it, it might be, I'm not going to say for, for everyone, but like, if there is ever too clear of a like this just follow these exact steps and then money comes in i mean that's i'm very very skeptical of that always right like if you really do think that that your game is interesting and strong and compelling enough on its own 
to warrant a community coming together around it that would pay money for it. Um, you know, there is a whole element of work to actually make that connection real that needs to happen or that should or could happen, right? Again, it can, it can always, you know, there's always um, anomalistic examples of, of, it, of it working, but I don't think that's a good, uh, you know, I don't think that's a reliable means to fall back on. It kind of reminds me of um, when in the comic book industry, a lot of people kind of get criticized for kind of pitching their own comics, but the justify justification they gave is, well, who else is going to do it? Like you, you need to be able to, you, if you have good quality stuff and it merits this kind of marketing, even if it is a little, um, even if it can be a little an, uh, extra work or perhaps a, a tiny bit of self-prostituting. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I don't like it. Right. But on the other hand, because I did that, because I put in that time and effort, I now have the ability to not do that again. I don't need to do that again in that same way for many years, right? So, like, I don't know. That's the choice I made, right? Everyone gets to make that choice. You don't have to do this, you know? You don't have to listen to a single thing that I say. It really, it's not, you know, I'm not even going to be able to tell you that much at the end of the day, right? Because what I did worked for me, you know, and it, and it fits my needs. Right. And, and one of my needs is I really don't like being in financial straits. Right. So let me put in this like this shitty work, you know, this time that I, I need to spend, unfortunately, you know, doing even though I don't really like it, but I'm going to do a bit of it. And then as a result, that pays dividends in the future that frees me up immensely to not have to do that again afterward right you know the, the, the trade-off is is different for everyone like how you measure this but that's that's how i weigh it now those choices had one other consequence a couple days after the game came out suddenly davy started wondering if he had missed opportunities to sell more the very first day was like it was amazing it was just the most it was so, we were so happy. It was so beautiful. And then on like day, then like on the following day, the money like doubled basically. And then we started to get really anxious. Right. And I, I, I started really like, I don't know, man, it's a weird thing. Like I, I know this is, it sounds like not real problems. Right. But the reality is, is that when, like we cross a certain threshold in like money that you're gaining and it, you just like, it just becomes so easy to start thinking about all the money that you're not making, you know? And like, it sounds ridiculous. It's like, Oh my God, you know, you, you're so successful and how can you, how, you know, that sounds great. And it, and it was, but I got really freaked out, you know? And, and I just started thinking back to all the ways that there's like something that we had done that maybe could have like gotten us more money. Right. And, and, and stuff like this that was just toxic, you know, it's really not good. Um, and just becoming like really competitive with other people and trying to like, did I make more or less than this other person and all this other nonsense. And so that was really like kind of a stressful place to be. And I felt really weird about that. And William did too. We were both like kind of feeling weird about it. Um, and, uh, but you know, like a week has gone by or so and I'm feeling pretty good. Right. And, that, and I, it's not like, it's not like, 
it, all that it is is like the game is done well enough to where we can like we can we can live comfortably for a little while now you know like and and i know that that's that's what it means that like i have the time now to just be able to like pursue some creative projects whatever whatever i want right for for a period of time without needing to worry about it making money right and that's that's amazing that's like the right just like literally i can pursue creative work without needing to worry about it making money right and that's that's the single best thing that could have possibly come out of this Davey Reedon is the lead designer of the Stanley Parable at Galactic Cafe. It was originally a Half-Life 2 mod before being remade as a full game back in October. So here's another choice we all face at some point in our lives. Where to go drinking. Three game designers asked that question as they were heading to Japan to visit some friends. So I'm Marie-Christine Bourza. I'm a Paltron producer. and uh, My name is Renaud Bedard. And I work at Capy Bear Games as a programmer, also co-founder of Throne Taru. Uh, I'm Chris Petrosky. I'm the creative director of Capy, and I guess a co-founder of Torontaru as well. When they got back, they decided that they had their own answers for people living in downtown Toronto. We went uh, twice in Japan, the first time in 2011. 2011. Yeah, 2011. And we went to Tokyo, and there was an event like through connected friends we found out about this event called Otaru that happens to be some kind of games meetup that was organized by the 8-4 guys, the localization company that does uh, tons of stuff. And uh, we just got invited to go there and we thought like, you know, not, no one there, that's going to be pretty awkward, but it turned out to be like a super welcoming experience and the best way to meet like a lot of people yeah. from the area, from the, the game scene and the people that are interested in games. and. Lots of English speakers, which is nice in Japan yeah. when you've been there for a while. So it was uh, like just a casual night that they just like drink beer and talk and like you cannot you you can speak about other things than games. You're just like people that make games but just want to be together and having fun. So that's super casual and we really like the vibe. And then Chris went as well. Yeah, I went to uh, Japan. Um, Mostly to hang out with the 8-4 guys because they did the uh, translation, localization, all that kind of stuff for sorcery. <clears throat> um, and we landed on Thursday and the thing about Otaru, which is kind of interesting, is that it, they uh, they do this every single Thursday. Like Every single Thursday they go to a bar and get like totally shit-faced drunk, uh, which is kind of unbelievable to me. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, landed, uh, Craig and I, we landed like Thursday afternoon and after like a 19-hour traveling experience and went like right into Otaru and, you know, fast forward four in the morning, drunk out of our mind. The thing about Otaru, they drink this like lemon Eyeball? gasoline It's probably mixture. Shoshu and lemon, yeah. Yeah, <coughs> it's uh, horrible. Lemon, lemon sour. Yeah, it's lemon sour. Anything sour, with, like uh, Shoshu with, with Shoshu. some kind of juice. It's pretty so, deadly. So yeah, when I, when I experienced that, um, I also kind of thought, uh, that, you know, this is something that, that would be great to bring back to Toronto. Um, and we sort of individually yeah. sort of had the same idea. Um, and we and went back in, in, in March, and uh, last March, and um, John McCarty was, was saying, you guys should, should take Otaru in Toronto because 
Uh, we have other other towns that uh, brought the, the concept there, like uh, Kansai is Kantaru and like some some things like that. And so he he he, he comes up with Torontaru, the the name of it, and we're like. Yeah, let's do this. And we came back and we talked with Chris, and we're like super excited about this because we think we thought that bringing that the concept uh, to Toronto will be like an amazing thing. And we kind of missed that. Like we we thought that we needed that. So yeah, the other part of it is that we moved from Montreal to Toronto in November last year, and we were we knew the game scenes well in Montreal, coming from there and kind of seeing it grow. And we went to this event called the Montreal Game Society, which is the indie meetup thing. And they do these monthly meetups, kind of like the Hanoi Society used to do the socials. Uh, they still do, but it's a little bit more spaced apart. And we were looking for like a regular night to just go and drink and meet people and just chill out. Yeah. And we couldn't really find an analog here, but we knew that it was really easy to set up. So it also came from like the feeling of, of wanting something similar. And because we we knew like we have like a bunch of friends already here, and we knew like a large group of developer, but not we didn't feel that we knew everybody, and like so we just wanted to kind of like see what was the the, the like the the community of video games here in Toronto. So like bringing Toronto was a great thing to do, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it was definitely a, uh, a missing piece. Uh, Toronto has a lot of different events going on. Yeah. Um, but this sort of just really, you know, no-nonsense, just come to get well and get super trashed, uh, that was missing. <laughs> and we we solved that. We filled the void. <laughs> so. It's been pointed the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. get more yeah. drunk. <laughs> so Chris is tweeting a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I handle the, the, the Twitter. <laughs> so. Um yeah. I'm creating I'll do much more than that. <laughs> I'm creating the the um Facebook event and Renault is like well, you called the get well people too. Yeah, I ca- I called the the get well people. The the bar is amazing. Like it, it's they're they were being like very welcoming to us. So basically it's just like a few emails uh to them to tell them that we'll come this date and stuff. So personally it was the first bar I went to uh when we, we got in Toronto because of you, of course. Yeah. And um and like um, I fell in love with the place because it, it, it's so amazing. So when we were talking about where we are going to do the Toronto we were, guess well just came super naturally. It's just like alcohol. Yeah, I mean alcohol <laughs> they got water yeah, the thing too. is like most people are fairly shy and then if you you know just in general then if you take a subset of of humans and and those are like people who make video games they might be a little bit more awkward maybe a little bit more shy uh and so yeah you just you know funnel alcohol into their (laughs) veins and uh everybody has a good time (laughs) it's just that it's yeah you don't have to you can drink like a pot it's just like it's like well known that having a conversation around an alcoholic brevet is is fun yeah. and like good thing can happen to that around that so yeah, no expectation. I, ha- I thought, I didn't I thought know. we would be like fifteen the first night and then it would grow because that the experience no, that we you, you we we ask uh, thirty pe- pe- people for uh for for we yeah we said, reserved for thirty but we got yeah. seventy so yeah <laughs> double expectations I guess but like coming from like the like in Montreal, the Montreal Game Society, uh, it, uh, we were there when it started, yeah. and it became it started very very small in a small venue where we were like five to ten friends, and then some people grafted up on, and then 
over time we we outgrew the venue, we had to move to another place. But that happened very gradually, and Get Well just, I mean, uh, Torontaro just exploded instantly, so. It was uh, a smashing success. It was like we filled the place like, up, there was a lineup of 70 per people, something like that, for yeah. our first one, we were like, wow. Yeah. It went super well. I yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the second the one as well. We got, yeah. And yeah, from what I've heard, people uh, like it and appreciate it, so that's good. Yeah. And the last one was also really good. Yeah, we're super happy about the, the reaction of people. Like, we kind of do, do that for, for the other people as well, because we knew that if we wanted to, do, to have that, like everybody else also, so like people are super into that and they, they want it to be something that continue over time. So if, if you don't know anybody from the game uh, community in Toronto and you want to, to know people, it's exactly the, the event that you should go and introduce you. Like we are super welcoming and like we want you to be there. So just come and introduce you and we'll introduce you to other people. The next Torontaru is November 27. It's held on the last Wednesday of every month. Marie-Christine Bourdois is a producer at Polytron Games. Renaud Bedard and Chris Piotrowski are at Capybara Games. Now, let's go back to the mother of all adventure games, the Choose Your Own Adventure book. Back in August, author Ryan North published To Be or Not To Be. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book based on Hamlet. You can be any character in the play, including the ghost of Hamlet's dad, or King Claudius, or Ophelia. As you might imagine, it can deviate from the original plot quite a bit. A choose-your-own-adventure book really only has one gameplay mechanic, making choices. So I asked Ryan, how do you make those choices engaging? There's a couple ways you can do that. And I remember looking at old choose-your-own-adventure books where you'd say you have the option to sit on a chair or sit on the couch. And if you sit on the chair, the earth explodes. And if you sit on the couch, it turns to a monster and kills you. And as a player, that feels ridiculous. Like, when your choices have so much impact, when sitting on a chair can make the earth explode, why are you making choices at all? Like, you could not have predicted that sitting on the chair would make the earth explode. And it feels like you're living in this arbitrary, capricious universe. And I wanted to have choices that had impact. Like, you're obvious, I want you to affect the world you're in, but I want it to be in a meaningful way. And I wanted there to be events beyond your control. So if an earthquake is going to happen three days from now, whether or not you sit on the chair, that earthquake is coming. You may not know what's going to happen. And so the idea of having choices that had meaningful impacts, like large enough that you're in control of your destiny, but not godlike, I feel like is really important to making a, a book or a game that feels meaningful when you play it and not just arbitrary. Like you're not, you're not digging through a decision tree, you're actually making choices. So what you're speaking is kind of like balance, making sure that not every decision is um, climactic and uh, kind of some decisions are just, will I have eggs or not? Did you ever worry when you were writing the book that you had, you were putting in choices that perhaps had too much consequence and would divide up the narrative too far between two, de- two various different options? Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Choose Your Adventure style book is that you have this decision tree that's constantly growing and you want to prune that tree. And there's ways you can do that. The easiest is to kill off the player. <laughs> which is probably why most books have this capricious universe where everybody dies. Um, But there's other ways you can do that. And there are choices that maybe shunt you off to a different path for a while and then shunt you back in. Or uh, there's a choice where if you do this, you can skip all those other parts. That was a really good decision, and you join up later. And so 
you can have choices that split into two lines and there's choices that almost sort of spin around the existing line and let you explore it in different ways and then there are choices that can shift you between lines or there's choices that can send you to different places in the book when I was writing the book I wanted to have all the different kind of choices I could think of and so um, a great example is there's the book within a book for Claudius uh, trying to catch him instead of a play within a play and when you're playing when you're reading that book as Claudius you realize that you know this has kind of been like what's been happening to you lately and if you squint your eyes and change the character names it's almost exactly like what happened to Hamlet and you have the option to actually do squint your eyes and change the character name and that sends you back to the very first beginning of the book <laughs> meaning you can in theory read my book infinitely long just keep looping it deeper and deeper so stuff like that I think is really fun that um and a player doing that would see it brings you back and go oh haha I get it and may not necessarily continue or they might depending on what they feel like doing but um, keeping in mind that there is a human who's playing this book I think is important too so it makes it good for them and not just good for the characters Ryan North is a writer on the comic Adventure Time and Dinosaur Comics his newest book is To Be or Not To Be a Choosable Path Adventure I managed to catch him at Wordplay, a small festival on writers and game design that was at the Toronto Reference Library on November 16th. And that's it! I'm producer Armin Igbali. And I'm features editor Daniel Rosen. Built to Play was made with the help of... Davey Reader. Marie-Christine Bourgeois. Chris Petrosky. And Ryan North. For an extended version of the interviews you just heard, be sure to check out our website. We post those things up occasionally at builttoplay.ca. Meanwhile, this week, Daniel reviewed Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds in a mad dash to get it out by morning of when we were recording this. So how is it? It is good and bad, which is a dumb thing I just said. But uh, Link Between Worlds is the sequel to Link to the Past. In fact, in Japan, it is called A Link to the Past 2. Uh, Link to the Past is sort of the... Zelda game that every other Zelda game has slavishly imitated for the last two decades. And so, and kind of this makes a big deal of being the next step forward. And it is in a lot of ways. It is nonlinear. It is just fantastically designed in terms of dungeons and puzzles. It is a really clever, smart game that is really fun. It looks like you. we can see the full review on the site. You nice put, nice job putting that together. And for everyone else, remember to leave your own review on iTunes so we can see how we're doing and more people can find the show. But if you leave a negative review, I have an axe and you don't have legs. <laughs> <laughs> we're usually on the air at the Scope at Ryerson every Saturday at 1 p.m. and rerun every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. And we update the website every Sunday, or at least I say that. You can find us on Twitter at Play. And me personally, at Flarkon. That's F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm Daniel underscore Rosen, famous for my composure. Thanks so much for listening. 